Hi, this is Redeem. We give formerly incarcerated citizens the chance to share their stories, unadulterated, unashamed. This podcast is a partnership between criminal justice advocate Yasmin Barak and storyteller Matt Tekatala. Each episode offers a compassionate glimpse into the life of an American on a quest for redemption, along with the difficulties they face and the victories they celebrate. With each story, we learn more about the complicated nature of self-forgiveness and what it means to live in a just society. It's a Wednesday morning in August, just a sweltering day in Oakland, California. But in a quaint community garden tucked away from the bustle of Telegraph Ave, a man in a neon green shirt and a Yankees cap is hard at work emptying massive bags of potting soil into flower beds. This is Anthony Forrest. Yeah, that's a baby boy. And this is what just makes my day right here. Relaxing, I'm by myself, I got peace. Keep backing up, because I'm gonna show you a couple of bell peppers right here. Pop! Look at that. Look at the bell peppers. Look at all of them bell peppers. And that's where bell peppers come from. So when you start looking at leaves, This community garden, this urban oasis where earthlings and seedlings coexist and grow together, is Anthony Forrest's sanctuary. And don't worry, we are very aware of how insanely appropriate it is that his last name is Forrest. Wow. Hey, look at that big boy. So you're going to take them home with you. I want you to cook. This is enough for you to eat right here. That's all you need. A good little meal. We sat down with him at the offices of Planting Justice, a grassroots organization focused on ending mass incarceration by promoting food justice and community healing. Hello, I'm Anthony Forrest, working for a nonprofit called Planting Justice. After serving 25 years, getting off parole in 11 months, and continuing to stay the same for the seven years past, Unlike most formerly incarcerated Americans, Anthony has a pretty unpopular opinion. So going to prison was a plus for me because God had his hands on me the whole time. I've been in like three or four riots in prison. I only, I luckily I made it out. I only got stabbed one time. That was God though, because it wasn't my time to die. So I didn't die. You know, God sent us through stuff. You know, the trials, the tribulations, the ups, the downs, the hurdles, the changes, the turnaround. But when we make it on the other side, we all right. So I'm all right. All the drugs, gone. All the stealing, gone. All the robbing, gone. All the breaking in cars, gone. All the breaking in houses, gone. It makes me feel so good to have this experience. So when I talk to somebody that's going through it, I can relate. I can tell them what, what I went through. And then I can tell them how long it took me to get the way I am. Over 25 years. Here I be. For Anthony, faith was fundamental to his recovery, both in prison and in reentry. Getting grounded and rooted and and finding God, that was main. Continuing to trust in the Lord with all my heart, lean not to my own understanding. In all my ways, I acknowledge him and he will direct my path. And so he did. He allowed me to learn how to meditate, to find peace within, to find the space to say, I'm sorry, I care. Can you help me? And so with all of that, there was no way for me to fail. No way. I had God on my side. Anthony wasn't always a man of God. He reconnected with his faith in prison when his pastor paid him a visit. I went to a church called Acts for Gospel in East Oakland. 
and there's a Bishop Bob Jackson. One day out of the blue, he came to see me in the county jail when I was facing 20 with 85%. He came to see me. He talked to me about changing my life. We prayed. And when he left, I, I took that prayer with me and said, I'm going to do better, Bishop. And that made me start thinking about what do I really want for my life? What do I really want for myself? I can't do it for my mom or my daddy, my kids. No, I got to do it for me. So I prayed with my bunkie that day. And right after we prayed, that next morning when we went out for breakfast, the next door neighbor walked up to me and said, hey, I heard you last night. Do you think you could pray for me? And it surprised me. And I said, yeah. And so I prayed with him and his bunkie, with me and my bunkie. And within a month's time, I had 36 guys, all races, holding hands, praying. That felt good. And I said, I want to always feel like that. Anthony prayed every day for the rest of his imprisonment. All those years that he spent immersed in the teachings of Christ changed his life. So I said, I'm going to make three goals, three rules that I had to apply to myself each and every day. So when I meet everybody in the child hall, wherever I may meet them at, I could tell them I won't do three things. I do a whole bunch of stuff, but I won't do these three. That's pass a note, pass a light, and pass nobody else's pills. I got some flack for it because in prison, that's what they do. They still smoke. They still snort and crush other people's pills. And if you snitch on somebody, they're going to pass a note to get you. But it won't be from me. And so when I got to H unit, I started the prayer circle in the building that I was in. As the quarters went by and people like felt strong enough, they went to other buildings. So every night at nine o'clock, all five buildings would pray. Every other month, we would all get together and, and, and make some food and we would all sit down and we talk and we eat. And that was my, that was my family again. I started feeling good about myself knowing that I was a part of creating something by changing my life. So when I came home, I got out on a Wednesday, got married on a Thursday and started planning justice that Monday. And it's seven years. So things have really been working for me. Ever since returning home, Anthony has continued to apply the lessons from scripture to his daily life. I feed the homeless out of my pocket. I always give people at lights and, and at the bus stop, wherever they may be, if they, if they ask for some money, I'll give it to them. And it makes me feel good. But in the beginning, I had to ask them what they're going to do with it. And then one night, I, I prayed. When I woke up, I said, I'm not going to ask them. No more. Just give it to them. And it really made my life change even more. Uh, you know, God don't leave us. We leave God. And so now that I know that I left God and I want to get back in his grace and in his mercy, I remember the story about the hundred sheep and then one ran away and he left the 99 to go get that one and he celebrated. And he was so happy and joyful. And I see myself in that position when I feed people. Joyful. Also, as an educator with Planting Justice, Anthony hopes to curb the effects of the school-to-prison pipeline by reaching out to youth and adults at the different stages of it and speaking about his experiences. My past and my criminal record, it allowed me to be able to go back to San Quentin State Prison, to be able to go to three different juvenile halls, to be able to work in five different high schools and two elementary schools. And I tell kids my past so they can relate. And it works because a lot of times they pull me to the side and want to talk to me about what's going on at their house and their family. Can you help me? What you think? Or I'm about uh, one of my friends 
he gave me some drugs and I don't know if I want to. And I'm like, hey, that's called peer pressure. Just cut it off. So it makes me feel good that people understand my past and see the change and they want change in their life as well. But Anthony doesn't go around preaching the word of God. Instead, he preaches the gospel of plants. Being able to step up to the plate and deal with situations as they come. And one of the main things that I do working at these schools is we meditate. We start our day with a good meditation. We make kale smoothies. We go out in the garden. We plant. We harvest. And I'm teaching kids how to recognize plant leaves and tell what it is without actually looking at the, the sticker. We grow from seeds, organic, no pesticides, and it tastes even better, especially when it comes out of your own hands. So much of Anthony's work revolves around bringing people together and building community around gardening. I have gardening classes at my church. People ask me all the time about how to water. I got a, a black thumb because of everything I touch, I kill. And, and I'll be telling them that's not true. In California, that's not true. You can learn how to grow whatever you want, but you got to talk to your plants. Love them. Act like they're your kids. When you get upset at somebody, go talk to your plants. They'll grow even stronger. Also, my hobby is making kale smoothies. I, I add kale, Swiss chard, and collard greens together, and it is so good. Matter of fact, last Friday, I was uh, in Pescadero, California, and I made over 150 kale smoothies for 150 kids that came all over California. What planning justice does. Anyone who meets Anthony can immediately tell that he's an absolute vegophile. I get up at 4 o'clock. I'm in the garden by 4.30 a.m., Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And when that water hit that basil and that aroma just shoots up in the air, it's like it gives me peace of mind. It makes me feel free. Well, water in the garden, water in that basil, water in that uh, rosemary, water in that lavender. That pineapple sage, that chocolate mint, the roses, just the fragrance. And then when you come back later on, when the sun is up and you see the uh, the bees, you see the ladybugs, you see the hummingbirds, you see all of that and they come so close to you. Learning about the shape of different plants just by their leaves. You can recognize and say, oh, that there's lavender. Oh, that there right there is rosemary. Antioxidants with the, the blueberries. I didn't know nothing about that at first. So now I'm learning strawberries, so good, especially when you grow them yourself. Dwarf lemon trees, apple trees, Meyer lemons. I mean, I could go on about this, man. It's ex It gets exciting. It's like a rush. It's like being high all over again because you get so sucked up into it. It's like it's not even work. I ain't got a job because when you like something so much and you enjoy it and you go every day, you don't even pay attention to the time. It just flies. And I tell a lot of people, even my, my dope friend friends, come to the garden with me. Just hang out. I can tell you about collard green. I can tell you about kale, which I never knew no, nothing about. The, the uh, red Russian kale, the curly leaf kale, the dinosaur kale. I just go on and on about what I did and, and how it makes me feel. Anthony's path to planting justice was a difficult one. He battled addiction for years. Now that he's clean, he helps his closest friends who are still struggling with drug dependency. First, you have to detox. And, and if you really want to, because I've been there, my sincerity was there, but the willpower wasn't. So if you can find somebody for like 60 days, and if they're willing to continue the process, 
then it takes about 16 months to get all the way out your system. After 16 months, then you can work with them. They're ready to be rehabilitated. They're ready to get back in society on society's terms. I've done it all. I know that you have to detox a person before you can like put them back into society because if they're not strong enough, guess what? They're going to go back. They're going to use again. By the grace of God, I haven't used, but I, I made a conscious decision to write a plan. I went to a program and I wasn't ready. So I didn't really complete the program. I didn't really participate because I wasn't ready. I did it because I was on parole. The parole agent said, you got to go to this uh, detox, but I wasn't ready. So after like 30, 40 days, I left, just ran away, went right back to the crack house where I was felt comfortable. I ran back to the crack house. This time. I'm lying. I have ran back to the crack house since I've been on to get a couple of friends up out of there. And that's the difference now that I'm strong. And they always say, make sure you take somebody with you because that demon is strong and he'll get on your back and you'll be using. Well, all my friends that I care about, they still use it. If they're not dead, they still use it. So I try to go pull out one at a time. And when other people see me, they want to, they straddle that line of, I won't help, but come back next week, but. And I'm always like, okay, well, when you're ready, let me know. I'll be back tomorrow. And I try to make it my business to come back and to help somebody because I always remember them 99 sheep. He just let, he let them, he let them do their business, but I'm going after that one. And that one keeps me sane. Anthony's generosity extends beyond house visits. He occasionally invites struggling friends to share space with him at the garden. You know, I fed a guy one time. He was in prison with me. I see him every morning when I'm going to the garden about 4.30. So one day I told him, when last time you ate breakfast? He said, oh, it's been a minute. I watered. Then we went to breakfast. And he was sitting there and he was eating and he got full. And he started going to sleep on me. I said, oh, it's time to go. Let's go. So he said, wait, let me tell you something, man. I haven't eaten breakfast in so long. I mean, the chips and hot fries and frozen burritos, that don't count. But this breakfast right here, man, and he started crying. And it made me feel so good. I said, man, you my dog. That's what dogs do. They make sure that they buddy have something to eat, have something to drink. I know you're going to do drugs, but at least I can feed you, right? Because you ain't never did me wrong. You always had my back in prison. So I got your back now. It's on me. And I took him and I dropped him off. And like every morning when I go by his, where he'd be hang out at, I always pull over and tell him, hey, get a cup and give him some of my coffee. And I always remind him, this one we used to walk the yard, dog. Remember that? And he drink the coffee and say, oh man, you still got it. All right, I see you. I'm going to the garden. If you, if you want to come holler, you know where I be. It feels so good to have a friend that, you know, regardless, and I don't judge, unconditional love, no matter what, I can come by and see him anytime. But I always tell him, when you're ready, let me know. I'll get you in a, I'll put you in a program. I got you. But you can't do it for a week or a month. You got to do it for life. Your family will be so happy to see you because they haven't seen you in a long time. But the fact that he'd be clean and sober, that's, that's what I'm getting at because we used to get high. I changed and he went back to the old. We was all in prison. We all detox. How bad do you want it? I wanted to live. So I work for everybody that want to live but don't, don't know how. 
Anthony is a beacon of light for many in his community. His faith in the power of generosity comes in part from the impact Planting Justice has had on himself. I mean, I love the fact that I have a job. I love the fact that I get paid to do what I, I do. I love the fact that they took the time to teach me about gardening, about life, about growth, about weeding, weeding plants. You have to weed your friends out of your life if they're no good for you. So you have to do that with the garden. The Garden of Eden had so much beautiful things in there, and he chose to talk to the snake who tricked her. So you're going to have that in your life. You're going to always have them hurdles, them obstacles, stuff that's just going to get in your way. And you got to know how to get how to either go around it or go under it. Don't try to go through it because you might get caught up. You might end up using it again. It could be a woman that's not good for you. It could be a no good man that's not good for you. But you have to see it for what it is and use your best judgment. And if you're not sure, ask somebody. Gavin. The CEO of uh, Planning Justice, he told me about suckers. I never knew what a sucker was. A sucker is an extra tree that's trying to grow in the middle of a tree. And you have to cut that off because it stunts the growth of the tree. I didn't know nothing about that. And you see it all the time. Everywhere you walk, you see all of these other trees at the bottom trying to grow out. Those are suckers. And so talking to a lot of my friends, Sometimes I have to say, man, you got to get rid of that sucker there because he, hey, he ain't making you, he ain't helping you to grow. Planning justice does it all. Allows me to go places that I never imagined that I would ever go. I was in a grocery store and this little girl saw me and took off running. Her mother didn't know why she was running. She ran and gave me a hug and said, this is Anthony. This is the gardener. And I pulled out my phone to make the mother feel comfortable by showing pictures of the daughter and say, this is what she made in, in class this day. And she's always, look at her in the dirt. She's planting some kale and strawberries. And the mother like, you do all, and she looked at her mom and said, yeah. I don't just go, I work in that school. And it made me feel so good, the, the fact that she's only seven. I did that. Anthony acknowledges that his life trajectory would have been very different if people had supported and believed in him from the outset of his prison sentence. So when I got my sentence and every, every prisoner or everybody that's locked up, they always think about how could I get out of this? But then when I was facing 20 with 85%, I knew that they were serious with me and I knew that I had to change my life. I told my attorney who really wanted to dump me and just have me to take that 20 with 85%. I started realizing, you know, I, I got a drug problem. I did something. That's true. But it don't warrant 20 with 85%. I want a life. I want to live. I want to be able to go places I've never been before. And so I said, hey, y'all never offered me a drug program. Help me clean myself up. And you can give me up to three to five years in a program because they got them. But he said, no, your record, you got to, if you really want to say my record, uh, every time I came to jail, it's because I was under the influence. But you never looked at that. You didn't care about that. You didn't even care about me one time wanting to change to see who I am, my authentic self is. I ended up getting 10 years, but the fact that I realized that I had a problem and I addressed it to the people that I thought that would have some type of companion, compassion and leniency to want to help me change and see what I really could do. Anthony knows more than anyone how harmful it can be to a person's growth 
when the very people who are meant to support you look the other way. He believes a criminal justice system would have a much more rehabilitative effect on incarcerated people if those who call the shots, especially judges and prosecutors, shifted their focus from punishment to eliminating one of the most common issues underlying criminal behavior, drug addiction. I really feel that judges and DAs need to spend some time in some rehabilitation programs just to see the start, the middle, and the end of when people first come to a program, the action, how they feel, and then as they start to detox, and the drugs is leaving their systems, how they change, how they have manners, how they respectful, the way they take care of their bodies, what they put in their bodies. And then at the end, how they be a, become a new person. And you see the transformation because judges and D.A., they could only go on assumption or what they see in the beginning. They never see the end result. How many of them just take their time on their off day to go to a program, volunteer some time? Show me that you really are a judge and a judge of character, learning and seeing what drugs could do to people, how it affects their mind, their thinking, their clarity. You have to go to the house and look at the parents. I mean, why did they want to get on drugs? I mean, that was their last alternative to just space out, be free. They won't even feel no more because their parents, they fight, they go get drugs. I've been one of those dudes that went to somebody's house and they put their kids in a room and locked the door so we can get high. I bet a judge don't know what that feel like. I bet a DA don't know what that feel like. You know, they hurt people. They tear families apart. Judges and DAs with the decisions that they make. And then they feel confident in, in with their decision. They just need more compassion. If somebody asks for a program, give it to them. On the, on the conditions that I'm going to come and visit you. Right. I see how hostile you are now. I want to see where you be like this in like 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, six months, a year from now. How could we as Americans change? How could we as D.A. judges, communities, people of the community help these people? So we all we play a part. And if we do our part, there would be no homelessness. There would be nobody on the streets using drugs. You know how the drugs got here. Now we need to change and figure a way to get them out of here. I know it's a lot of money, but you know what? As a community and you say you care, put the money to the side and let's do what's right. Anthony is right. Drug abuse and crime are inextricably linked. According to a 2017 Department of Justice report, more than half of the state prison population and two-thirds of the sentenced jail population reported drug dependence or abuse, compared to just 5% of the adult population of the U.S. Despite this fact, only about a quarter of those reporting drug dependence or abuse had received treatment since admission. So, diverting more criminal defendants into rehab programs is crucial. However, as Anthony acknowledges, this isn't a catch-all solution, especially if rehab programs aren't robust enough. Anthony suggests that one way to improve rehab programs' effectiveness would be to supply every participant with a loyal sobriety advocate that sticks around for at least 16 months. This, of course, would require funding by the state. Walk me all the way across the street. I need somebody to grab my hand and help me to make it to the rest of the web. That's what programs supposed to be able to do. And the ones that do, they have grants and their grants run out. And so then they have to let your hand go again. You know, it takes, like I say, between 
16 and 24 months for the drugs to be clear out of your system. Now you need somebody to help you to the next step. When you was a little kid, your mom held your hand and you felt hella good. You felt comfortable and you know that you was all right because mom got my hand. She got my best interest. And sometimes we have to do that with guys and girls on drugs. We have to give them our best attention, our best, to let them know I got you. So when you're telling somebody I need help, ask that question. So if you got released today, where would you go? Would you go back home and is, is there any drugs and alcohol abuse in the family? Do granny use? Do your mother, do your father use? Do your brother, your sister use? Do they sell? So a asking these questions allow them, if they're going to be real about the change that they want in their life, they're going to tell you the truth. So, okay, now that I know that, let me put them in a safe house. I'm going to give you a fair shot this time at the title. And all you have to do is when you wake up, call me. The next step may be, okay, I done set up some appointments for you. All you have to do is make the first appointment. They're going to give you bus tickets or gas money so you can make it to the rest of the appointments today. And all you have to do is show up. Show me you won't change in your life, and I'm going to be there for you. If you call me at 1 o'clock in the morning and wake me up, I'm there. But if you call me asking me for some money, knowing that you should be asking me for some help, I ain't got no money, and I'm going to hang up. I'm here to help you succeed, not, not to fail. Judges, par parole agents, and DAs, it's like you can get a good par parole agent. You can get a good judge. I've never had all three of them, though. I need I needed that support. I needed somebody to say, you know what, man, you better than that. I'm willing to stick my neck out. I'm willing to put you in a program. Didn't happen. But I want to give everybody a fair shot, a fair chance at making it and surviving. So you got to walk by faith and not by sight. Lean not to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. For Anthony, the key to withstanding the ups and downs of life is cultivating faith. And, of course, spending quality time with your garden. You know, you get a hard life, you start being depressed. When you got a life like this where everything is soft, peaceful, kind, understanding, meditative, it's beautiful, life is good. I think they call it TVLG, life is good. Meeting Anthony today, you would have no idea he went to prison for over two decades. His upbeat attitude and gentle, lighthearted demeanor is disarming. He asked us to leave you with this parting message. I served 25 years. Don't believe me. Go hit the computer in my name and watch how it pop up. Everything pops up. So I'm no longer E23373. My name is Anthony Forrest, and I'm out. That was educator Anthony Forrest, a.k.a. The Smoothie Man. Thanks for listening to the final interview of Redeem Season 1. We'll see you in Season 2.